So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast with ben hartley where you get the positive energy you need to help you grow your business your relationships and your mindset if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hartley. Thank you so much for being here. The purpose of the podcast is to help you grow your business in one of three areas. Each episode tends to be a bend in one angle or another. Number one being to help you win more inquiries. Number two, to help you maximize your profits. Number three, to help you break through your limiting beliefs. I imagine today's conversation is going to be around... uh, limiting beliefs in in a certain regard. We're going to talk about setting boundaries for your business. So often in the podcast and really most of the education space is is a conversation around the hustle and the grind and the building and the more and the bigger and the better. Um, and if you're like myself and, and today's guest, you've probably hit a certain point where maybe maybe less is more. Maybe it's time for boundaries to be defined in your business um, and, and and that actually being the best possible thing for growth to occur. And so this is what Eric Floberg and I are going to be chatting about today. Eric, he's a wedding photographer and filmmaker. Uh, he's a citizen out in uh, Chicago with his wife, his three kids. He loves his city, loves his family. I, and I relate to that. It's been fun following Eric on, um, on social and just kind of seeing that come through. I keep finding finding myself gravitating towards educators who are phenomenal at their craft, who are passionate about this industry, um, but haven't forgotten um, or left to the wayside. Uh, what, you know, what, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of it all? If we don't have the people that we love closest to us. Um, he graduated actually as, a, as an educator, as a teacher, um, which I relate to. I started out actually in education as well before I left that. Um, but it's really fitting though for Eric because he teaches on um, uh, uh, YouTube. He does one-on-one and then um, oh, what's that one thing? Um Help Patreon? Me out. Patreon. There it is. Patreon. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, the the name failed me. He also does Patreon as well. So make sure to check him out on, on YouTube, on Patreon. Uh, and even just to go check out his website. Um, I'm going to actually share it right now uh, for anyone who's watching live um, to be able to go see because his work is absolutely incredible. And so let me get his website up for everyone here who's watching in the mastermind group. By the way, as I'm, as I'm sharing this right now, this video is being broadcast as an actual 
video. The podcast that you're listening to is being broadcast as a video, early access in my mastermind group. If you'd like to see it, if you'd like to see Eric and my conversation to see his work, um, you can go to benhartley.com forward slash mastermind uh, because it's been out for about two months early uh, in that space uh, right now. And so Eric, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? So good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. That was a uh... I'm wildly impressed at that intro as, as someone who just started a podcast with a friend and trying to do research on guests, you freaking nailed it. Like, dude, even with the, even with the butchering of Patreon, you still feel that way, huh? (laughs) That was, that was a a small little hiccup in just like an absolute novel that you just, (laughs) that was amazing, man. I really appreciate appreciate you doing that research. Yeah, of course. So, um, I'm curious, um, I introduced you as a wedding photographer and filmmaker, Eric, Mm -hmm. um, what came first for you? Was it the love of film or or was it the love of photography? It was, it was video at first. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was always the kid doing video projects in class. So, uh, it all started in seventh grade uh, in the Spanish class and we made a dumb little video uh, for a video project. And we presented first in the class because we were so pumped about it. We spent an entire week doing it. And, uh, and it, it was so good in comparison to other groups in the class that they all convinced my, our teacher to not present theirs. And she just gave everybody else a B and gave <laughs> us an A. Um, so that just kind of set everything off. Uh, every year after that in school, I like tried to turn every single class project into a video project and mm. tried to do dumb skits and just try to make my classmates laugh. And uh, that kind of translated into high school and college sharing those kinds of videos on, on Facebook. So that was m- my first, I, and I played with a, a camcorder as a kid too, just like, yeah. you know, the, the dumb home videos talking to camera. Um, but yeah, a high school friend saw some of the higher quality stuff I was putting out, you know, because I finally got a, a crop sensor DSLR and uh, she asked me to, to film her sister's wedding. So I did for 300 bucks and that's just kind of what got it all rolling. Wow. I love that. What yeah. year was that? That was in 2011 where I shot my first wedding. It was literally just 10 years ago on the first. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I relate. Uh, 2010 was mine. So it's been 11 over here mm-hmm. and $300 same, <laughs> but I just split really? mine 50, 50 with my sister, my little sister. I was like, I think hey. I did that with my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's so wild, man. So as your career has grown and, and it certainly has, what has been, uh, you know, we're going to talk about boundaries and, 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 um, pulling back. Um, but I want to actually maybe set a little bit more of a stage for that because I'm curious where things grew for you before boundaries ever set in. Um, you know, like wh- what were you doing in terms of the uh, amount of, of events that you were both photographing and, and filming? When I taught full-time, as you mentioned, I was a classroom teacher from 2013 when I graduated college to 2016. So did three years of public school education. Hmm. Uh, I was obviously, you know, doing that full-time job and clearly summers off. Uh, but I was in that time teaching Monday through Friday, commuting from Chicago to the Chicago suburbs about an hour and a half of driving or train. And then I was coaching basketball. Um, oh, wow. And then I was shooting weddings on the weekend and then editing weeknights. 
Uh, so those, those were some of the most tumultuous years uh, of my life. We had just had our first kid mm. and it was, it was absolute chaos. Like I had, I had no life at all. So that was kind of my first taste of it. And that was what drove me to going full-time with my business. I, I had it in my head graduating college that if I was going to pursue photography and filmmaking, that it was probably going to take a decade before I could do anything on my own. That was just the mindset I had. Mm. And then seeing all of the secondhand referral and treating my clients the way I was and delivering what I was that finally brought me to a place where I was like, I, I literally can't handle doing all of this. So I have to just switch to full time and trust that it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like that first boundary that you drew was leaving the full-time job yeah. and, and going all in on the photography business as uh, like photo film business. Mm -hmm. Are you like 50, 50, by the way, like what's your ratio? I am. I'm like, I'm pretty much right down the middle. 50, 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how, what, how many are you typically doing now? I'm doing 15, 20. I want to be mm -hmm. down to like 12 though. But yeah. in those years I was, I was doing like 20, 25 while teaching full time. And then once I went full time, I was in the 30 to 35. Range. Yeah. So the first boundary, I think it's one that we often romanticize. Um, it's a, it's a romantic boundary. It's a, meaning this, it's not that it's romantic. It's just that um, it's the easy one to give. Meaning, hey, I'm building this business of my own. This is mine. This is my baby. This is this thing that I get to, you know, quote, do what I love, right? Uh, and, and so it's easy to leave somebody else's dream. It's easy to give up a nine to five. I say easy loosely, by the way. I understand that that's not always easy. Um, I saw a, one of those great Instagram quotes, right? That's like, I, uh, what is it? I gave up my nine to five. Yes. <laughs> to work 24 seven. And so I imagine that when you left your teaching job, that that's actually just when things probably became worse. <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I right or am I wrong in terms of you, just like going all in on the business nonstop? Yeah, you're uh, you're hundred percent right. It became at that point, then it became obsessive. You know, it, uh, it was like a do or die situation. And there was so much of me trying to prove myself to my family, to anybody who saw me make the switch to just be like, no, I, I, I am sustaining myself and my family by doing this. Yeah. But there were definitely superficial aspects too. Like I wanted the Instagram followers. Like I, I thought that was cool. And so I was definitely pursuing a lot of, of that as well. Um, and yeah, there, there were really, really difficult conversations I had to have with my wife about overworking and staying too much, you know, at the studio, we, we got a studio, me and three friends, and we started co-working out of a studio space. And yeah, I was, you know, I was working five days a week and shooting one to two days on the weekend. So, um, yeah, it did not, it did not get much better then. And then I started YouTube and yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's a snowball effect. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, there's, I do believe while we're having this conversation, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I do believe still though, that there is a grind period that, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong, by the way, I'd love for you to push back, but um, that when you do set out to start your own business, that it's going to take work, that it's going to take hours. It's going to take manpower. It's going to take focus. It's going to take energy. It's going to take saying no to a lot of things. And it's going to take saying yes to a, a whole lot more. Um, that there's a period for that, right? Um, but it's, I almost wonder if we, um, if we get addicted to that 
phase. Um, do you do you agree? Do you feel like there is a like a period, a grind time, a hustle, a let's go if you're wanting to quit your day job and to go full time? Yeah, I definitely I land in the camp of like don't make the switch until it becomes uncomfortable. Like mm. I I hesitate to teach people like just abandon the job in hopes that, you know, your endeavor will be successful. Your side hustle will turn into the full time. Um, to me, it feels way more sustainable to have that uncomfortable year where you're doing both at a capacity that, you know, someone shouldn't be doing mm. basically two full-time jobs. Um, for me financially, that was very helpful, especially since when I was, you know, teaching, we had health benefits, we had our first kid. And so it was this transitional year of like being able to pad the savings account so that I felt far more comfortable doing the full-time switch, you know, just giving me that extra padding for, for, you know, like maybe if I don't have the best first year, we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just kind of, that's just kind of my MO and that's, and that's just, I guess, sort of the fiscally conservative side of me that's like, I don't, you know, like just try to be careful with that. And I've really in, in the past year or two have let go of that a lot more because exactly what you're talking about, um, with the being addicted to the season of hustle, I, I started to realize quickly that maintaining the hustle wasn't necessarily elevating my income. And really deeply realizing that outsourcing in, in any capacity might actually increase my income and also decrease the amount of work that I have to do in my day to day. Um, and that's especially true with YouTube, um, which is definitely a different beast than the wedding world. Mm. Uh, but even just outsourcing my wedding photography editing, um, that alone and outsourcing some of the admin, um, really made me realize how much creative energy I could put into other things and strategizing and how I could invest my money in different ways, mm -hmm. um, to create something more sustainable or something bigger, um, later. So yeah, that's, uh, that's just kind of the season I'm in now is like in this process of, of outsourcing so that I can pursue bigger dreams and, and bigger goals. Yeah. What, uh, what was the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to like this pursuit of more and bigger and better and the celebration of the grind and, and the hours of work? Um, could you recall, and I'm sure there's been many straws for me, I noticed that it's an ebb and flow. <laughs> totally. Um, are there any of the moments that you can recall or years where, uh, something had to give? Yeah, there was uh there was one time where I tried to put on a workshop in uh Kansas City. Like everyone on Instagram told me Kansas City like we're we're going to do it, you know, and I was so confident in myself. And uh I think at that point I was just a bit too ambitious in mm -hmm. what I thought I knew and just because I had this background in teaching, I'm like, yeah, sure everybody'll, you know, sign up. You know, 15 people said they would. One person signed up for that and then they dropped the ticket actually. Mm -hmm. And I was left with uh having rented this place and uh, I had to pay for it. And then I had nobody attending that class. And it was this moment of like, you're trying to pursue this without any kind of action plan. You're just, you're just kind of going out on a whim. It was like, it was a very difficult day for me to just take that slap in the face of like, you need to reevaluate and keep building in mm -hmm. uh, building a foundation before you think you can really like fly, you know, <laughs> like let's walk first. Yeah. Um, and I, again, that's not, 
I guess, super relatable in, uh, on the wedding front. But uh, for me, before that, even on the wedding front, starting to get into the 30 to 35 wedding years where every Christmas uh, I had severe anxiety trying to get my backlog done before Christmas was there. And then working through Christmas and feeling miserable that I couldn't spend time with my family, like that just destroyed me. Mm-hmm. I, it hurt so much every single year to know that like that was looming in the back of my head. And I had this unhealthy relationship of client expectations and what I thought they expected of me mm-hmm. when really they didn't care. Um, but I always pushed myself to try to meet that deadline. And I failed like three years in a row and it always frustrated my wife so much. And I look back at that and it's like, I don't get to have that back, you know, like I already yeah. did that and can only learn from that. And so that's another huge reason why the outsourcing started to happen and letting go a more of my perfectionism when it comes to the editing side of my craft um, and being more okay with like an 80 to 90% complete version of what I am able to produce um, because knowing my clients are fully going to appreciate that as opposed to killing myself and not making my business sustainable by trying to make everything 100% all the time. All right, podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick pause here in order to give a thank you to the supporters of the SFP podcast, because if you're listening, it likely means that you have a small business or you know someone who does. And if this is you, you are wearing far too many hats. And some of these hats are amazing, right? Like being a photographer, but some like filing taxes, running payroll, not so great. This is where Gusto comes in. This is the solution, you guys. Gusto, G-U-S-T-O, Gusto. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small businesses. I used to be on like an old school payroll processor from like 1982 and it was terrible. Gusto now has fast, simple payroll processing. Uh, This is the really cool thing. They automatically pay and file your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Um, They make like like W-2s, sending out 1099s, uh, incredibly easy to run. You guys, those old school clunky payroll providers, the one that was on that I just left, uh, they just weren't built for the way that the small modern business uh, is meant to work, but Gusto is. You guys, no joke. I got really excited because I switched to Gusto before they contacted me uh, to come on as an advertiser. I'm like, this just makes sense. I actually use this thing. Um, The really cool thing too is everything is online, like the ability to sign, store, and organize all the employee documents. It's all online. It's all in one place. You guys, let Gusto wear one of your many hats. Uh, it gets better because for you podcast listeners, you get the first three months free when you run your first payroll. Try this demo out for yourself at gusto.com forward slash photo. That's gusto.com, G U S T O forward slash photo. New photographers often feel stuck and insecure due to a lack of support and affordable resources. Unscripted app for photographers empowers them with poses, prompts, templates, education, and an easy client management system to confidently turn their passion into a dream business. You can find your confidence and become a thriving photographer in just a few easy steps. Firstly, download the app and create a free account. It takes seconds. Then confidently curate your first photo shoot. 
and empower yourself with all the inspiration and resources you need at your fingertips. With the unscripted app, you'll get paid on time, every time. Use the client management system to build your client base and book the jobs you want. Turn your passion into a dream business and never work a day in your life again with the unscripted app. So download now and begin your seven-day free trial to discover how unscripted can transform your photography passion into a dream business. You mentioned um, you mentioned the client expectations, yeah. and um, and I'm curious. I, I feel like that's maybe uh, a huge part of this conversation. Yeah. So we're talking about setting boundaries, and um, I see a lot of photographers, um, myself included, especially personal experience, believing that the service that I'm expected to give is one that's open 24 seven. That's yes. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I got you. Of course. It's like a yes, man idea. Here's my number. Text me, call me, whatever you need. Of course. I, yep. You know, when, um, and, and I'm curious if you had that similar experience and how you managed setting expectations for your clients when you realized that that wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever been on a communication front, like ever telling my clients or making my clients believe that I'm available all the time. I actually on purpose don't respond to emails for 48 hours sometimes if I know it doesn't, it isn't, um, you know, pertinent to respond within 24. Um, and honestly, more, more and more as I grew throughout the years with client communication, I made it clear that I'm a very laid back kind of person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, in those, I'll, I'll be apologetic in the email saying, you know, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting back to this a little bit later, but reassuring them that uh, everything is good and we're fine. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, for, for me, the, the expectation piece is when it comes to the wedding stuff, I, I lay hard expectations of my philosophy first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think really the groundwork I set in that first client call or that client FaceTime or, or actual meeting in person is, um, that I'm here to serve you first. Like I'm here to help you enjoy your day first and foremost. Um, and I'm going to, I'm the person that's going to be around you the most on, on your day. And I want you to enjoy it. And I don't want you to hate me and be annoyed by me. And I say it all this way. And I also say, and I'm also not going to be afraid to grab you by the shoulders if you're freaking out and look in your eyes and tell you it's going to be okay. And so like, I set that expectation of like, I'm, I'm very like, I don't, I kind of break the mold of like, this is a business relationship. And mm-hmm. so I feel like when I connect with them on that level from the beginning, they have a lot more grace for me whenever I am a bit more loose on communication because they see the work that I produce. They really appreciate me for my, my creativity and my photojournalistic style and my filmmaking capabilities and my storytelling abilities. But then that, that kind of laid back attitude in the front has always developed such a great relationship with my clients of them immediately just being like, wow, he really does have our backs. Like, okay, I feel comfortable. Like he knows what he's doing. I'm not worried about it. Um, as far as the Christmas stuff went, my expectations were mostly for films, wedding films. Like mm. I always felt this constant need to one up myself on a wedding film. And it's very different than wedding photography. Like wedding photography now, it's really easy for me to outsource. I'm still not outsourcing my wedding films. I'm like finally starting to dabble in it a bit. 
but there's just there's just this thread of emotion and story that goes along in a wedding film that is just so so different if you do it well and you do it right and you like really pay tribute to who they are and all the nuances of their story and relationship um and so i'm constantly stressing about like this is what it could be am i going to go there Mm. can I go there? Do I have enough time to go there? I'm already so far delayed on the delivery. And at the, at the end of the day, they're always like, no, we, we booked you because we wanted that outcome. So just take your time, relax. You know, mm. um, I actually took it out of my contracts, a delivery time. Like I did not want to, to put myself in that box of feeling like I have to deliver by this 90 day or 120 day you know, I have friends that like, they'll take six, seven months on wedding films, but my friend Josh from a little long distance, but his wedding films are like the best ever. So like, it's, it's just this balance of, uh, trying to figure out what's going to keep you sane and, uh, and make sure that you're not, yeah, just not driving yourself crazy in the process, post-process. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So do you, do you talk about that with your clients that like, Hey, there's, there's not a, this is when it's due. Like, do you have that conversation? I should, honestly. That's my, that's, <laughs> that's my problem. Like, yeah. I, uh, I give them, usually in the meeting and, and FAQ and stuff, uh, I'll, talk about, I'll talk about usually when it's delivered. Um, but I am always trying to set that expectation of, uh, like, this is, this is a, a process. And you know the quality of my films, and this is how long it takes. Uh, I always... I, as far as the filmmaking side, I always collaborate on music. So that's a great time when they realize it's, it's like he's getting into like the thick of the editing process because I, I won't reach out at all because I'm just working on other things and the rest of my backlog until I send them music selections. And when we go through music selection in that process, that's when they can know like, all right, it's coming in like a week or two after this. So, mm. yeah. Um, so photography is mm-hmm. such a, I mean, well, you just described video and it's perfect. I started off in wedding videos as well. Mm-hmm. And so much more complex, the editing yeah. process mm-hmm. with, uh, with the pace of the cuts, you've got audio, but you've got multiple levels of and areas of audio between all the different speeches and the music and sound and mixing. And, uh, and we're not even talking like, yes, you also have to grade the footage, which is, mm-hmm. which is all a photographer has to worry about is essentially grading. <laughs> is this the actual color balance and, and contrast and look? Um, but you're doing very well right now and I'm not <laughs> I'm shooting <laughs> and log. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. You're, you've got options though. You can it's move a vibe. It's a vibe. <laughs> so I, I say that because you agree, right. And, and you agree that it takes much more time, much more energy and work on the video side. Is that accurate? hundred percent. Uh, not on the day, on the wedding day. It's, um, it's hard at times like setting up audio and lighting. That's hard. <laughs> But directing, it's way easier to shoot video. Um, you just get to chill back and just kind of let things unfold. Sure. sure. Yep. Agree. Post-process, agree. so much harder. Yeah. Yeah. So my, here's, I have, I, have a, I have a curious question. Do you reflect that extra time, effort, work, stress, anxiety, uh, pain <laughs> <laughs> in your pricing? I do not. Yeah. 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 I, uh. For, yeah, for years I've felt always every year feel like I'm underpriced. Um, and yeah, it's just a hard, it's a hard question I have to ask myself because there is so much of me that loves what I do and loves mm-hmm. being able to l- deliver these, these things to people. And then there's just this whole component of, um, 
of working with a clientele that I don't, I don't know. It's it, right now my bread and butter. It's a really weird clientele that I have now in that like half of my clientele are people that follow my YouTube channel hmm. and don't have an extensive budget for their wedding, but they're willing to splurge on me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, you have like been so helpful with, with growing my channel and being a part of that. There's a part of me that's like, of course I want to work with you um, mm. and we'll make it happen. And then there's the other side where it's like, there's huge budgets and they're underpaying really for like the services that I really have. Mm-hmm. And, um, but sometimes that clientele is hard for me to work with because the f- philosophy doesn't line up. It's like a huge party in Chicago and I'm walking away and I'm going like, do you guys love each other? Like, mm. I don't know. Is this hard to make a film about it? Like, you know, um, so I feel like I'm, I'm walking that line a lot. And, you know, if I was strictly in wedding photo and wedding film only doing that, I would be, I would probably just be jacking up my prices, honestly. Um, but I've really kind of just enjoyed being in that like almost luxury tier, but not quite hmm. um, with some of the clientele I've been able to work with and being able to balance that income with what I can make with YouTube and Patreon. And I guess it just, it just comes down to, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I like making money. I really do. But there's also just a large part of me that does not care at all about Mm -hmm. how much I make. Um, and so I've kind of fallen more into that camp, uh, recently in the past few years of just being like, Hey, if my work can sustain what I do and I'm not driving myself crazy doing it and I get to spend a good amount of time with my family, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm happy, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah. Well, and, and it sounds like you've gotten that now, you know, to that point, that, um, cause it sounds like there was a period where that maybe that wasn't always true where you were maybe yep. driving yourself a little crazy and you weren't spending time with family. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, yeah, I was I was driving myself nuts at the amount of hours I was putting in, how much I was obsessing over YouTube analytics and mm. uh, you know, like inquiries that I was getting for weddings and what I could possibly do and what styled shoots I could imagine in my head. So much so that, you know, if you've met any creative that's passionate about that stuff, it's like they can't stop talking about it. And you're just like, Shut up, I don't wanna <laughs> yeah. I had a breaking point with friends where I was talking about, and this is specifically to YouTube, where I was talking about a brand deal I was gonna be getting. And we were at a party like with friends, not party, but just hang out with them and two of our families, three of our families getting together. And my best friend, Mike was just like, I was talking to my other friend, Gene, my best friend, Mike and Gene and his wife. And Mike's just like, dude, where's your self-awareness? Like they do not want to be talking about this right now. Yeah. He talked to me about it later. He's like, he, we just want to be your friends right now. Like, I don't know. And he's like, well, I'm so tight with them. So like, we are fully transparent with how we yeah, feel about each other in our relationship. But uh, his wife literally was just like, oh, great. I guess Eric's bragging again. Like, great. This is fun. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was this wake up moment of like, yeah, pe- like, yeah, people don't care <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, I'm really into the relational component too with the community. We're so tight as a community in, in the studio uh, that we have. Um, and so a lot of me is, is really interested in that taking up a lot of my time as well and pursuing mm-hmm. things together creatively. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, yeah. I brought up price because that's like a boundary that, um, that can be set that, that like the pricing can be a boundary totally. that can, um, n- not even because one is, uh, 
money hungry by any means, but just like, well, I could shoot, you know, 20 weddings, uh, uh, 40 weddings, you know, whatever the number is, I could shoot 30 weddings at, you Mm -hmm. know, 4,000, or I could shoot 15 at eight. Mm -hmm. And in that process, you're creating boundaries for, for yourself. And, and I just see so many photographers who, um, they get to the point where they're done, where they just go out of business. They just can't sustain it, you know? And I would much rather photographers have a business that they can connect relationally and they can give back the feels and the connection, you know, and to serve their people because they're profiting. Um, and so I, I love that you've figured out you've, you've got ways that you're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a period for me that I just eventually I was just like, I can't do a wedding film for under 10,000. I just yep. can't do it. Like I just can't physically, like I can't emotionally do it. And I understand by the way, that I could from a monetary standpoint, but I couldn't emotionally give all of myself and what it was going to take the amount of time and commitment uh, for any less. And that was a boundary that I had to set. And it was crazy because people still decided that it was valuable enough for them to purchase. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey. Every time you raise your prices, you you realize that happens. Like, yeah, yeah. it's mind blowing how like almost every single time it's like without fail. I raise my prices. I send the the uh, pricing sheet, and they just immediately respond like, "All right, cool, let's go." I'm like, "Yeah, whoa, what, whoa, what?" Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is great. I'm lo- I'm loving having the co- this conversation because I've literally on my to do list list have had raised prices on there for just months, and I've just been putting it off. Every new inquiry I'm coming in, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah and man, i get that i am i'm at a place now where i'm like i don't need to book anymore and it just it does need to go up and something pivotal for me it was with uh levi tiarina uh, he has worked with white and reverie and he had his own wedding photography brand for a while he was um doing one-on-one sessions at a workshop in brooklyn back in 2017 mm-hmm. i took one of them with him and i'm like He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm stressed out of my mind. My backlog is insane. It's September. He's like, what are you charging? I'm like, charging 3,500. He's like, I mean, and, okay, so you're, you have 30, 35 weddings booked for the year. You want to shoot less? Yes, I want to shoot less. He's like, put it up to 8,000. I was just like, it just blew my mind that he said that. I was like, there's nobody on planet Earth that would be willing to do that. Um, and I didn't go as extreme as he did. I, I w- went back and switched it to 65. And again, immediately they yeah. booked the first inquiry booked at that price. Um, yeah. So like I, I definitely, I'm coming off of this season of just insanity with buying a new house and a car yeah. and new studio and just life has been so chaotic. And I'm, I'm very excited to just settle down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. reevaluate my entire business as I'm now going to be starting to move more into education. Um, what does the wedding pricing look like now? And how do I get to the place where I'm, and you're right, where I'm doing five to 12 a year, it's going to have to be above the 10 K range probably. Yeah. Um, and that's just the natural deterrent. And I think that will make me a lot more sane on yeah. the front for sure. Yeah. I, I see a trend with um, creatives where uh, at least I'll, again, I'll speak for myself. I'm very, uh, um, numbers averse. We don't, mm-hmm. I don't like looking at my numbers. And I notice it as, as I coach photographers that most aren't either. They, they don't like looking at numbers. Um, they'd rather not look at them because to look at them feels stressful. It feels anxiety inducing. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I bring this up because one of the trends that I've noticed is we, we just don't know when it's okay to say no. Not only when is it okay to say no, but like, when is it the best decision for your business to actually say no? Like that an open date on your calendar, it doesn't have to mean that you're available. Just because the Saturday is not booked doesn't mean you're available. And the only way we get to that is if we actually know what our goals are. Like what, what are the metrics that we're, we're looking to reach? And once we accomplish that, what does it look like now to just say no? <laughs> um, how, uh, how is, have you had that relationship with saying no? And what was that journey like for you? I, do, I never say no. I'm the biggest yes man on planet earth. It's awful. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, the, this past year, as my YouTube channel has grown significantly more, I've found myself finding um, a lot of rest in saying no to a lot of opportunities. And it's really encouraging to see and hear the people's responses that say, I totally understand. Like, thank you for being real with me. And uh, Casey Neistat had a really good video three or four years ago talking about saying no. Mm. He's just like, I, I literally can't, I literally can't fit any one more thing into my schedule. You're a psychopath for like wanting me to <laughs> jump out of it. And it was, that was one of those first things. It was a video Cody Warner made where like he ran into him on the street and he also made a video about it where he's just like, Casey, can I have a minute? And Casey just went, no. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> totally understand, bro. You know? Um, and he was like, it was really profound to me because he so confidently said that. Mm. And I totally understood it at the same time. It was like, yeah, I know his life. I watch him vlog every day. Like, it makes sense that he said no to that. Mm. And having that healthy relationship with it um, can bring so much joy in other places. And what you said is right. It's like, if you set, if you were to set a hard limit for yourself, I am going to shoot 15 weddings next year. As soon as that 15 is booked, you go on your calendar not available every single Saturday, just boom, 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 boom. You're filling it all in. And it's like, if you have that kind of type A structure that you're putting into that, if you're rock solid um, on that plan and uh, on that goal, like you're going to see success and ability to say no. Um, But then maybe it's the time in your business where you're like, okay, let me take on an associate and hire an admin. And then I can book those dates but I never have to exactly. Deal with it. Well, you just brought up a really great point. It's like, well, then you you don't just stop showing up. You don't stop yeah. working. It's just now you get a chance to work on your business rather mm-hmm. than always being behind the camera and always answering an email. Um, what you brought up about Casey is is brilliant. I have a, a, a coach of mine, um, Chad Brown. He's been on the podcast. He's a great friend. Um, but he brought up a really powerful point to me. He said that. Ben, uh, we're so scared of saying no because we're worried about an opportunity passing. And so we just say Mm -hmm. yes to everything. But he's like, when you say no to that thing, you free up infinite other space of possibility. Mm -hmm. But when you say yes to something, it closes off infinite possibility for that space. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And so often we're, we're worried about saying no, because we just don't, we have the FOMO. We don't want to miss out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's almost like the inverse can be true. Like the opposite can be just as valid that like, man, in saying no to this, there's now infinite possibility for something else to take up that space. And I found that to be a really, um, 
just for me to uh, almost logically work through that, because I I also feel like a yes man. It's always yes, mm-hmm. yes, 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 yes. Um, it really empowered me to 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 be able to say no, and then then to see those possibilities come through. You know, mm-hmm. to see that. Um, something that is something that's been really frustrating for me is I know what I'm capable of making on an artistic and storytelling level. Mm-hmm. And because of my problem of saying yes, I'm stuck in this like purgatory of mm. churning things out and not getting to the potential of like things I creatively want to make. Mm. So when it comes to filmmaking, I keep saying yes to all these things and I'm filling my schedule constantly and then I'm not able to like make these documentaries and these short films that I want to be making. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's, I'm so torn because I see the vision. I'm like, I know I would make that amazing. Like, I know that would be gorgeous. I know that would affect so many people. Yeah. And I'm just like, but I can't make it because I'm stuck editing today, <laughs> you know? And uh, that tears me up. And again, just another reason why outsourcing has just like, this is just recent for me. Like I started outsourcing admin last year, which freed up so much more of my creative mm. time. But then I realized that just having admin outsourced allowed me to sit in my studio and watch YouTube videos and procrastinate. So now that I have an employee that's here in the studio with me during this time, like it actually gives me, we had this uh, conversation with Jai, Jai Long, where he's like, I, I'm not as aggressive as he is where he's like, drain your bank account, like do all the things, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like I have children, but um, uh, I was just like, but I do need to actually be a bit more tenacious with that because he, the thing he said, he's like, it will force you to show up and like actually, and I've been noticing it. It's like, we've been two weeks now editing and shooting side by side. And all of a sudden I realized wait, I can't just show up and procrastinate when I'm here. Like I have to give him things to do and giving him things to do is actually moving my agenda forward forward and getting my task list um, accomplished. Yeah, And then it's actually motivating me to be creative and actually sit down and write and do some of the things I've been wanting to do. And I'm like, oh, I've been so afraid to spend this money, but I'm just now seeing it as such an insane investment for me and my business. Yeah. I, um, I'd love to go on a, 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 a kind of a, a thought exploration of that because I've noticed that as well. It's like we um, we try to create hacks more or less of things to like keep us responsible. You know, it's like committed to like what we say we want to do. And so mm-hmm. having an employee is something you're like, I'm accountable now. You know, like I'm, a, I'm accountable to this person who's in the office with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I see this a lot with creatives. It's like, um, we just have a hard time. It's easy to procrastinate when you're not accountable to, to something, you know, mm-hmm. to another person who's in the room with you or to a boss because you're your own boss. Um, and yet I, I also see these same photographers who are like, because they're not accountable to their business or themselves, they go and get a part-time job and you better believe they're accountable to like their boss at Jimmy John's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause if they don't, they get fired. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, something that has been a, a process for me um, just in the last couple of years has been starting to notice like what that is a symptom of, or like what's that revealing about me. And I discovered that it has revealed just how little uh, 
I value the things that I commit to. Mm -hmm. Um, like when I say I'm going to do something, how little and how frequently I actually do that thing. You know, it's like, I'm always lying to myself. I'm always stretching the truth. I'm always like, Oh, I could fit this in. And, and I'm always breaking commitments with myself. And the only way to get around it is if like, well, if I go find a boss or I find an employee to go work side by side. And I have actually found it to be far more valuable in, in my experience of to get really curious about like, I wonder what would happen if I actually did what I said I was going to do, like if I actually treated myself with as much respect as I would my shitty boss at Jimmy John's, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I wonder what could be possible. Um, it's been a really wild discovery for me is just that, that process. I'm, I'm still in it. Um, but yeah. Um, you know, this maybe transitions us a little bit to the conversation on the self side of things, like the self-development side of things. And for me, that's been a lot of um, coaching and counseling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if after having a business for 10 years, uh, you've found value in beginning to discover more of like how you show up, Eric, and and what's under the hood and, um, and starting to work on that. Yeah, I really ran into a brick wall this year specifically mm. um, with physical and mental health. Uh, as many people struggled with mental health last year, um, I was right in that boat. We were in a condo with three children, two-bedroom condo. So, mm. you know, I think we were already hoping on uh, buying a house earlier than that, and we just couldn't and didn't and you know, it was, it was very difficult in that sense. Um, just all being locked in that space together. Um, and part of me was fearful because it was just like, I don't know what the future entails for income. Um, I don't know what I'll be able to book and do therefore like making a decision on getting a home for me and my family. That's horrifying because what if my income gets destroyed and then we can't pay for the house, you know? Mm. So I think finally, once we got out of that season um, and and were able to purchase a home, that was really freeing for us to have a backyard and a basement. But that process of doing that and keeping our condo and renting it to someone else and getting a new studio space that's twice as large and having to buy a new car because my other one broke due to negligence. <laughs> All of these things compounding, compounding on themselves. Um, I'm really big into running. I run marathons. And so my ankle uh, has been, I've been dealing with tendonitis for eight months. Did not know it was tendonitis until about a month ago. So I finally had this just breakthrough moment of like, we got the house. I decided to buy the car. Um, I decided to contact uh, a counselor for therapy Mm -hmm. uh, that my friend recommended. I went to the doctor and now I'm going to a physical therapist. I watched my friend Mike go through this last year where he had to make all these kinds of decisions for him. It was seeing a counselor, going to a gym and working out uh, four days a week um, and just enjoying his time and enjoying his love for wine and Mm. pursuing education and wine. I'm like, man, I've just been suppressing all this stuff. I've just been like, gain money for down payment, gain money, just rake it in, rake it in, shove all the emotions under the rug, just keep, just press it down. And it just all kind of came exploding out. Um, and so it's just, I'm in this beautiful season now of like, wow, I'm able to outsource some stuff. I'm able to let go of some of my perfectionism. I'm able to get my body and my mind m- m- healthier. And 
being in that space has just kind of torn me down to the studs and given me this ability to just go, okay, what kind of house are we going to build now? Like what kind of, what kind of infrastructure is going to exist in this business now? We can now reimagine because I'm not in survival mode anymore. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting and it just feels very good. My relationships are all in really, really good, healthy places right now. And um, yeah, I'm just very excited for, for what's coming now and mm. what, what's on the horizon. So, I was having an interview with um, Nathan Holritz from the Boca podcast, and we were mm. talking a bit about this concept of um, so many of us, we're just in a response mode. We're like in fight or flight as we're mm. trying to grow the business and we're panicked about where the next dollar is going to come from. And so we're just looking for, what do I do? How do I fix it? How do I fight my way through this thing? And then some days we feel like we can't fight anymore and we just kind of freeze or we retreat. <laughs> and, um, and I feel that. And to hear from someone like you talking about the season of life that you're in and the, the space that you've been able to find, um, I want to encourage the listeners right now that it, it doesn't have to be a space that is found in, in um, once you've suffered for 10 years and then you finally make enough money to outsource. Mm -hmm. I, I want to encourage you guys with that, that even the space that um, that's solace, <laughs> if you will, you can find that and you can create that um, before you even have time to outsource. There's mm -hmm. a, a really great book I'd highly recommend called um, Three Simple Steps. Um, it's by uh, Trevor Blake, Three Simple Steps. Um, um, for the people who are watching live right now in the Mastermind Group, I'll, I'll share this over on Amazon, Three Simple Steps. Um, but he outlines a process of, of um, setting boundaries and creating space in the midst of all that life is throwing at you, even when you can't financially afford to just outsource some of these things, right? And it's the process of actually setting some of these boundaries and creating that space that then allows you to, to get so much more done than you thought possible and, and to, to actually be able to outsource, you know? But I just want to encourage the listeners right now, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're just feeling like, but I can't afford to outsource, I can't afford yeah. these things, there's, there's other possibilities for you. There's other possibilities. What's been some of the results that you found, Eric, in the, in the process of, of doing some of that, like focusing back on you and your physical health and your mental health and your, and your relational health? It's just, it's, it feels like there's a lot more hope for um, what's next. And it was kind of a, a lot of loss of feeling of like direction, like just where am I going? Uh, what is, what's on the horizon? Uh, I, I just didn't feel like I had much of a direction. I, I knew I wanted to be in education, but it's like, what, what were the actual steps that brought me there? Yeah. And again, to kind of go off your point, I love that you brought that up about like, what if I can't financially, you know, what if I just can't? afford outsourcing to me, you know, in seasons, uh, other, uh, you know, ripples in, in my history of, of feeling this way. And some of the, the parts that were really difficult, just the community that I have in Chicago here and in our studio, like that is ultimately what has gotten me through those seasons. Um, mm -hmm. and real genuine, like not the, not the BS Instagram, you know, bubble letter kind of community over competition. I mean, like real <laughs> heartfelt, like I, I duke it out with Mike. He's my best friend here. And 
two weeks ago, we just had this, we had like a blow up argument, but again, it was a lot of that just like shoving stuff under the rug and not dealing with it. But we've cultivated this community where like both of us know we're not afraid to duke it out in that capacity because there will be resolve the next day. There will be resolve at the end of it because we know each other and we know our hearts. And, um, I know, I know that's really hard to find. I I understand that, but it's not, it's not that it's not worth pursuing, like having people in your corner like that and continuing to build relationships in the creative industry has made me realize like, man, on those tough days, it's so amazing to have people like that in my corner, encouraging me and like helping me stay motivated on a personal level and keeping me accountable to the goals that I have. Um, so Mike is like that for me. Steven on our podcast is like that for me. He's now moving to Chicago and like wants to be a part of that as well. So much so that they're going to move across the country, you know? And, um, yeah, that's just been, I made a video about it recently, but it's, it's just so true. It's been, and ultimately has been the reason why I haven't completely crashed and burned is because I'm able to voice those frustrations and how I'm not able to accomplish things I want to accomplish and actually Mm -hmm. being real with those people so much. So like, even just this, like even us just meeting for the first time, but you being the motivating factor, we're like, I'm going to figure out when I'm going to change that pricing now. Like I'm going <laughs> to literally, I need to put it on the calendar. Like I just need to, it's so easy to have this checklist that you're like, yeah, it'll happen eventually. But all the stuff you're booking in the meantime is affecting you. If you don't just like set a time to get those things done, you know, mm. and constantly having those conversations with people who are experienced who appreciate you, who trust you and you have a relationship with like, there's just nothing like it in my opinion. Yeah, dude. I love it, Eric. Hey, where can people learn from you? Where can they find you on YouTube and Patreon and uh, see more of your work? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just my name. If you search it up on YouTube, you should find me, um, Eric Floberg and my Patreon's linked in like all, I think virtually all my uh, YouTube video descriptions. So you can just find that there have an Instagram, eric.floberg. And I pretty much post about all the things I'm doing there. So I'll be doing a, a course this fall uh, for wedding photography, wedding filmmaking. That's our plan. Um, and very, very excited about moving into that season. It's going to awesome. be it's gonna be some inspiration from Bo Burnham in there. That's, that's the thing I'm going to drop. <laughs> I love it. I, uh, I'm on a Bo Burnham um, reels kick. He's pretty much when I go to TikTok, all I see is just like Bo Burnham yes. on my for you page. Is all I see, <laughs> and I'm not mad. Um, Eric, thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate the uh, just the genuine conversation. I felt honestly more like this was less of an interview and me just like talking to someone, hanging out with you. And so, thanks for letting that space uh, be able to be there. Most of my um, episodes are far more eh, interviewee. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so I appreciate you, man. Um, thanks again. Of course. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in, uh, to this conversation between Eric, uh, and I highly recommend you take a look at, um, Eric's work is, it's just absolutely incredible, fantastically creative. He has this one photograph on his website and I, I forgot to bug him about it with like this black sand slash galaxy water reflection <laughs> magic. 
And, uh, and I'm going to bother him about it after this, but you need to go to his website <laughs> and check it out. Uh, just search for Eric Floberg. Uh, if you'd like to see Eric in my conversation, I, I shared my screen a number of times looking through his work um, and be a part of the conversation. Uh, it, this video is in my mastermind group. If you go to benhartley.com forward slash mastermind and you just search for Eric's name, Eric Floberg, uh, you'll see this podcast as a video uh, with all the, the screen shares that I referenced. Uh, there as well. And so can't wait to, uh, for you to tune into the next episode of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Until then, keep showing up, everybody.